Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And I trust something you hear in the next hour may just inspire you to create sanctuary, sacred space in your home, maybe even in your office, your yard, your neighborhood. Sacred space is so much more than just clearing the physical and mental clutter of everyday life. We all need space where we intentionally connect with beauty, the divine, the natural world, and ourselves, creating harmony and solace, grounding our lives with the sacred, and giving expression to the soul. We all know recent events can easily pull our attention in directions we never intend. Social media can be overwhelming and stressful. Our need to feel deeply and spiritually connected has kind of been hijacked by technology that makes it difficult to disconnect. So now, more than ever, we welcome sacred space. Our guest today offers simple yet deeply soulful ways to transform our homes and our lives into a harmonious refuge from the world and really create this deeply connected sanctuary that we can take with us everywhere we go. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Jill Angelo, author of Sacred Space, worked for nearly two decades in business management before changing her life's direction to pursue an inner calling. For the past decade, she has traveled extensively studying and working with a number of leading spiritual teachers. Her sacred practice, her sacred space practice, I love that. Mm -hmm. Putting those words together is so lovely and yummy that we can all create a sacred space practice. Thank you, Jill. It combines her business acumen with spiritual altruism. Her inspirations have led her to create a consulting business for veteran, first-time, and self-published authors. And Your Space of Grace is successful, divinely inspired retail business. And now she's following another passion, another dream, creating sacred space for animals in an animal sanctuary called Moon Dog Farm. And I love that initiative. I love everything about this topic today. And I welcome you, Jill. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank thank you. you. You, thank you. And I really appreciate this book today. And I have to tell you, I've been in creative mode myself of ready to launch some really pretty big projects and a book and, and some other things. And I've like really come back home and, and just preparing for the show, remembering to just look around and look at my space and what needs nurturing and and what can nurture me even more. So I love this and I can't wait to dig in more, but Jill, I have a traditional first question here on the show and I want to um, give you the opportunity to, um, 
Yeah, I, I, to, to really answer this and give our listeners your perspective. So if you could share, what does all things connected mean to you? All things connected from my personal standpoint is very similar to how my life is now. Before it was pretty chaotic, which is what caused me to create sacred space in the first place. But now I'm married. My husband and I have scaled back. We, we've always lived within our means, but we've found ways to live within our means even more. We're on similar pages when it comes to work and recreation. We're on similar pages as to how we run our household because we have so many animals. And there's, there's a peacefulness that comes over. And oftentimes, if he were here, he'll tell you. My favorite part of the day actually is when it's time to go to bed and we get in bed and the entire crew of who we live with in this house is in there with us, whether they're on the floor or they're in bed literally with us. Um, it doesn't get much better than that. And at those moments, for me, that's when all things are connected. All of our hearts are not beating at the same rhythm, but beating together for the same cause. Mm. Lovely, lovely. You know, and science is showing us, I, I imagine they are trying to entrain to that same heartbeat. That's such a yummy visual that you give us just thinking about all those animals. And, and I love your passion for animals. We'll get to that. But your story is so endearing Jill and and what brought you to sacred space and creating this and really and I I want to also just acknowledge this for our listeners that this book is just a gem it it creates we're going to hear some of we're going <laughs> to hear, hear them we're going to hear them we're going to hear the guests that are right here in this space with us today we might hear a few barks and I love it I said let's welcome it let's just welcome them into this sacred space this book is so easily I, I don't want to say easily written it's written to follow through so easily and to just really embody the different chapters in here the different exercises everything about it it's really endearing but I also want to just preface this conversation with how sacred space is healing Yes, And we, we really need sacred space at this time on our planet. There's so much going on. The importance of home is important, but the importance of creating sacred space for us to really be the divine beings that we are in the world is important. And your story is endearing. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your story and what brought you to leave the corporate world and then literally to manifest sacred space? Well, Growing up, my parents had told me that that I was the generation where you got the job, you stayed at the job for the rest of your life, you got the pension, the 401k, and you just did it because that's what my parents did. And so I got through college and I got a job in a restaurant like a lot of people do when they're going through college. And then I, I landed this killer job and it was in manufacturing. And... I enjoyed it. There was always something that called to me, though. And I 
climbed my corporate level of rank and I really helped build this company and I'm a very passionate person. So my heart and soul was in it mostly yet there was something always just kind of nagging from behind that I knew that there was something else, but I didn't know what that something else was, but I wasn't going to leave what I was doing because I was enjoying it at the moment too, if that makes any sense at all. And so in the meantime of being there, I had been dating someone and it was time for us to move into the next directions and steps. And through the way that synchronicities work, we had driven past a house that we had seen out by where we live in the Chicagoland area numerous times. And there was something about this house and everybody knows that there was, you know, that quote, something Mm -hmm. that called and ironically enough, go figure, we drive past it and the house is for sale. So we put an offer in and within four hours, we own the house. It was done. And now becomes the journey of the creativity. And I've realized by teaching and while teaching, there's a lot of people when they're in that business acumen and they're working and they're working and they're doing the 60 hour work week there. There we go. We had no, we have no time for creativity. And Mm -hmm. so there was this yearning for, I can't wait to paint and create at a level. So we get in the house and we had planned on getting engaged and married anyway. And he surprises me and we get engaged on a Monday night. And I think we're there 13 days or 12 days. And the next day he wakes up and he was spiritual. In fact, at that time in life, he was far more spiritual than me, which is ironic too. And I said to him, I'm like, what's going on? You don't, don't seem yourself today. And he's like, you know, he goes, everything is so good. I'm waiting for the other, the other shoe to drop. And I, you know, I understood it, but I didn't understand it because he had had a dream His name is Richard. Richard had had a dream on Sunday that, and I was grocery shopping and he was at home laying on the sofa. And this dream was that I died in a five car accident. And he called me panicked and he's like, you know, I had one of those dreams. And so I knew enough of being with him for five and a half years that when he had those dreams and he called me in that panic state, you went home and you were a support network. So I dropped what I was doing. I ran home. We got through it. Now we fast forward, we get engaged. Now we're on this next day and he's not acting right. Something's not right. The shoe is going to drop. So I reassure him. He goes to work. I go to work. We, you know, throw ourselves into our work days. We talk just after lunch. He tells me he's on his way home. He's going to go finish this house because we were going to, part of it was fixer upper. So we had reduced certain rooms down to concrete floors and the studs in the walls and that's where he was headed to and uh, oh goodness anyway um his last words were his last words to me were i love you and eight minutes later i found out an hour later he had died in the exact five car accident that he had dreamt of on sunday that was me so he really did have his own premonition So now I'm in this house and I'm 32 years old and nobody is thinking about death at 32. We're thinking about marriage, babies, schools, those kinds of things. And I have this four bedroom, two and a half bath house. I'm Italian. He's Italian. So, you know, the whole family moves in with you because this is how we're raised. What am I going to go and what am I going to do? And I can't sell it now because I've got to fix it in order to sell it. Number one. 
Number two, no matter where I go, the grief is going to be there, right? So I, I'm not going to get away from this no matter how hard I try or wanted to. But that is pretty common when you're suffering from that PTSD. You, you want to run. you got to get away from it. So what I did was instead is I sank my feet in and I created a sacred space to heal. And I healed by doing it. Mm. Thank you for sharing that story because the the evolution of that house then becomes your story and and it's beautiful. So not only did you heal, but then you really have the inspiration to help others heal. Help us understand how that moved you then to really let go of what was your life and move into helping and assisting others to, to do the same through sacred space. What had happened was after I started to, and this took me a period of time, this was years, this wasn't months, this was years. And everything that I had brought into that house or what had been in the house had to be created into a home. And so when we're looking for, for those pieces of property, we usually refer to house shopping. Then once we buy it, it becomes a home because that's when we start to attach our dreams, our wishes, our hopes for the future, what we're going to do. And then once that home starts to become what is, that's how the transition, I believe, starts to occur into sanctuary. It's the safe haven. This is what we want when we come home, right? We want to relax. We want to feel nurtured because the interior of those four walls are what holds us. It holds the dreams and wishes. It holds the family unit. It holds the animals. And that's where creation begins. So once I've gotten this house into a home, little did I know it was really a sanctuary because who would think a single person would have that sanctuary? But I started to feel comfortable enough to entertain. And when people would come over, they would compliment and they would never leave. People would spend the night. I'd have parties on weeknights that would still be going at midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Because the environment that people were in, they enjoyed so much that they felt that nurtured, relaxing calmness that they didn't want to leave. And so then I started, I was asked to write a course and I wrote the course. And then the course started to morph into teaching workshops at local community colleges and whatnot. And then it became, why don't you write a book? So I had put the book together with a lot of nudging from Andrew Harvey, who's a very dear friend of mine, because when I started working with him, he kept saying, darling, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And the book was the last thing I wanted to do, having worked with so many spiritual authors and helping all them get their books off the ground and knowing what it took to get those books ready. But I sat down and I started doing it. And that created that created the first copy of Sacred Space. And then I was blessed to have it picked up by a publisher. And now I'm a published author, which is a wonderful thing to be able to say, because it's very difficult nowadays to have that happen. It's not the way it was back in the day. You know, now it's much harder to become a published author. So for that, I'm very, very grateful. And I think the book is fantastic. And I love to talk about it. Hence why we're here. <laughs> I love this book too. I do agree that it's fantastic. And thank you for setting that um, 
really the the conversation in the home that we really value from moving from house to home to sanctuary really is our process of of emotionally moving in and feeling really good in this space and so i know for me personally i i grew up and home was kind of chaotic and the definition of home isn't what I would have wanted it to be. And so home has become a really important um, expression for me. And I, 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 like you, every word, every, every page of this book I have in my hands right now is filled with genius. Um, really, you've done an exceptional job. And so one of the things that you do, you, you share so much for us to think about. And then you give us questions to journal and to really explore our own um, inner longings and desires and thoughts and feelings and emotion, all this that comes through with the journaling. And then give us these really nice tips on some things that we can do, things we can do today Mm -hmm. to create the sacred space. It's so yummy. So this book, I can't agree with you more. It's, it is a, it's a great resource for us. Let's talk a little bit about um, where you begin in this book is the five senses. And Mm -hmm. I think it's an important thing for our listeners to just kind of get a feel of what's in the book. And, and let's do that by talking about the senses. I think when, when I teach, I take away senses and I do it purposely. So usually my classrooms are smaller and I like that because we all get to know each other. And when I question, why are you here? What are you looking for? The bottom, the bottom is usually for most, there's a level of chaos, number one, which is common and understandable. It's not, it's not a bad thing. You know, when you have a family of four or a family of six, you're constantly on the go. Times now are much different than they were when I was a kid. Kids are in multiple sports. We have two cars. Kids don't walk so much anymore. They're driven. And the way that we, the way that we go about our lives is much more, diff- much more different. Not to mention, technology drives us. So I have a hard time with my stepchildren because they are attached to their cell phones. But when I was their ages, I didn't have a cell phone. They weren't out yet. Right. So now that I dated myself, but still, it's really important when you have your senses taken away, you'll see how quickly your other senses increase. So when we work on texture, I have nine to 12 different types of material and I blindfold you. Because you will feel those much different. Your sense of touch will be increased because I took away your sense of sight. Mm. When I take away your hearing, it'll increase even more because now I've taken away both, but that'll increase your sense of smell. And it's done purposely because that's where you start to really connect with those fragrances or those materials or those sounds in a way that you wouldn't have before. I know many people, I am not a lace person. I've never been, but I know many people who can look at lace and go, I can't stand that. And if I blindfold them and shift stuff up, they'll like it. It's just an opinion or it's my grandmother didn't like it. So I don't like it where, you know, it, 
when I take those things away from you, you start to be more aware of what is. And I feel that it's really important. Hmm. So give us some examples of how really these heightened senses, when we think about our home and the importance of home, of how we create the sacred space through our senses. What, you know, and I know color is a big part of this too, but the, the sight, the smell, the sound, the touch of our home and our environment. And, and you really go into specifically every individual room mm-hmm. and give a lot of tips and tools and resources for that. I've found by going into people's homes that there are rooms that everybody loves to be in and then there's rooms that nobody wants to go in. And I like to focus on the rooms that nobody likes to go in first. And I ask people to step inside, close your eyes, and tell me what it is that you don't like. And they'll say that it's cold or that it's uncomfortable or people will start to make it a clutter place. They'll have intentions of making it something, but it'll wind up being that all the clutter winds up in there. And, and that, to me, is a form of a shield. It's kind of like people who have treadmills or exercise equipment in their bedroom, and then they never use it because they have all their dirty laundry hanging on it, or they have all their clean laundry hanging on it. And it by the time they're finished, you can't see that it's a treadmill, and they're not using it. And so why would you keep it there, then, as a constant reminder of what you could or should be doing by your opinion versus removing it and having the bedroom be exactly what it should be, which is a place of slumber with no electronics whatsoever, with calming, peaceful colors that bring you a sanctuary where you can't wait to go to bed every night. And when you get up in the morning, it's because you get up, you're ready to face the day. You're going to make your bed instead of leaving your bed in shamble. Because imagine if you get out of the bed because you hit the snooze button three times, now you're late. You rush yourself out the door to get to work. You leave the bed. And what's the last part of the energy that is transmitted to that bed when you get out? Hurry. So now when you come home at night and you're exhausted and you just want to get back in it, it's not the same feeling because it's in complete disarray. And for those who are listening who may say, no, I don't do that, then I'll just ask them to think about when you go away on a trip and you walk into a hotel and you look at the bed in the hotel and you cannot wait to get in it. The big fluffy down pillows and the blankets and how beautifully made it is and how people just fall into those beds in the hotels. That should be the exact same way that people feel about their beds in their own homes. But more often than not, most people don't. And I find that fascinating. Because this is where you're supposed to be spending seven to eight hours refueling your body every single night. But we don't because we sleep with our phones by our pillows because we're so afraid we're going to miss it or the alarm. And the computer's on the nightstand next to us and the TV's still on above us. And all that energy is being emitted in the room and it's bouncing off of us. So you won't sleep well. It's, It's very difficult for you too. Others will say they pass out and they do, but they don't hit REM. Because it's not a comfortable place necessarily for them to sleep in order to reach a place of REM or they're not giving themselves enough hours to sleep because this is what societies become. You have to do more and more and then add more on top of it. 
And that's why it's so important for me to let people know how simple it is to create the sacred space so that they are in these relaxed environments, nurturing themselves. And sometimes the best way to nurture yourself is to shut everything off and go to bed at nine o'clock and be amazed when you wake up at 536 and you finally feel refreshed because you, you took that electronic time out in a way. And that's other things that stimulate our senses in a, in a different way. You know, you, we all have that vibrational energy, but with all of that electronic around us, it starts to shift our energy fields. And people have more anxiety than they did before or more nervousness than they did before. PTSD gets triggered more because we're, we're constantly on and moving and going. And we have to answer those text messages immediately. Like they can't wait, right? And I know we all know people that way. And then I'll, I'll pose this from another energetic perspective for those that are listening that might not, they might be thinking, I'm not quite sure, or, you know, I'm, maybe I'm not explaining myself well enough. Think of how we all have friends and I'll call them Mary and Sue. Think of like Sue will have a party and you can't wait to go to Sue's house. It's so much fun. She always throws a great party. Everyone has a great time. Everyone stays. And her house is, it's simply, it's simply decorated. It's not that it has to be over the top because that's not what this is about. Or we go to Mary's house and Mary's house is in this constant place of chaos. It's messy. The energy's not the same. And we don't want to go to Mary's house. I think almost every single one of us have had similar situations in our lives. And that's another example of not only energy, but also the sacred space in which people live. And when mm -hmm. it's a welcoming environment, you can't wait to get there. And when it isn't, you'll find the reason not to. Well, there's this brilliant wisdom right there. And I, I really appreciate you bringing in the conversation about the energetics because there's this sensate feeling that you're talking about through all of our senses with our environment. And so not only are we looking at the literal um, sight of, of colors and textures and shapes and, and sizes in the room and the smells and the sounds and the touches, but literally all of that collectively creates an energy and and i really appreciate you bringing that into the conversation because it's really really important and you talk a lot about this in the book and there's so much more so we're going to take a quick break here and um I just want to let our listeners know they can find your book, Sacred Space, all over the place. But you can go to Jill's website, jillangelo.com, and there's a link there for you as well. So, again, that's jillangelo, A-N-G-E-L-O.com. We'll take a quick break when we return. So much more on Sacred Space. Meditation Channel is interruption free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app 
free in the App Store or listen online at Empower.fm. Soothe your soul. Calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. Packers. Vikings. Red State. Blue State. We come from different places. Uptown. Downtown. We come to different conclusions. Half empty. Half full. But no matter how different we are, we're all connected and we can all make a difference. That's why United Way brings people, expertise, and resources together to improve the education, income, and health of our communities. The building blocks for a better life. When we live united, our efforts, magnified by others, add up to real change. Children succeed in school, families gain financial stability, the health of our neighbors improves, and suddenly, so do our communities. But real change won't happen without you. Live Live united. united. So let's look beyond our differences. Live Live United. United. One by one, let's make a difference. Let's reach out a hand to one and influence the condition of all. <laughs> Live United. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Sign up today at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. While cutting molding with a 12-inch dual compound miter saw. While holding a newborn baby in your arms. When face-to-face with a congregation of alligators. With the ball in your hands and the entire freaking season on the line. There are a million places you'd never consider texting. So why would you do it while driving? NASCAR driver Casey Kane here, asking you to please stop the text. And together, we can stop the wrecks. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Get the message at stoptextstoprex.org. Positive Radio for a better life. Thank you for listening to Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe just listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I would love to hear from you. Was this conversation meaningful? Sign up for our email list. Leave us a message. Connect as much as you can. We love to hear from you. And also, come join me and other global co-creatives at goodofthewhole.com, where we're gathering to really look at a lot of this conversation today about sacred space. We're talking about creating a sacred space in our world today. So we'd love to have you join us there, too. I'm visiting with Jill Angelo here. We're talking about sacred space, turning your home into a sanctuary. And really, it's time to turn our home, our office, our workplace, our neighborhoods, our 
our communities into a sanctuary, Jill. So thank you for joining me. I'm wondering if you can, I'm just going to open with that because you, there's so many beautiful things in the book and I have way more I want to talk about, but this is an important time on our planet. And what does it mean to really um, expand this out, not just creating sacred space in our homes now, but how do we do this in our workplace, in our yards, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? Well, first of all, I'm going to suggest that people take pause at what really matters in their homes. I have a lot of people who will rip out things from magazines, certain furniture stores, and they'll want to duplicate it. And then they'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars to get it duplicated. And they'll find out that they wish they kept the chair and the furniture that they had because now it's stark. Whereas that chair that may appear to be outdated, if you had had it upholstered, you still have all the memories that were in that chair, rocking, you know, nursing your baby Mm -hmm. or photos, whatever. So it helps to be as consciously aware of what is really important to you there And then to know how you feel, like we talked about before, how do you feel in each room that you're in? So if you were to go outside of your home into your workplace, because that's the next place that you're spending a tremendous amount of time. So for the listeners who are listening, the one thing that I do want you to pay most attention to is look at your desk or your cube. Are you completely neat? And is everything organized in its own space to the point where you can almost be anal? And then I'll have people go, well, I'm not anal. And I'll say, yes, you are. And they'll say, no, you're not. And I'll say, okay, (laughs) then I'll walk over and I'll take a pen and I'll move their pen and I'll shift stuff on their desk in front of them and I'll watch them become unglued. And I can do that because guess what? I'm that person. So when I was in my corporate world, I would take, if I took a day off, people obviously would sit in my desk and it would make me crazy when I would come back in. And then it became a joke because what they would do is they'd rearrange all my stuff just to drive me even more crazy. And I got to the point where I was able to laugh at myself. But those areas of ours, especially our desks, that's where our productivity and our creativity in our workplace comes from. And so one of the chapters in the book, I do talk about altars and I talk about practical altars. And your desk really is a practical altar. Everything is arranged in a specific place. We may have a photo or a trinket that brings us peace, joy, a great memory. By all means, it should be there. On the other hand, though, let's not keep the photo of your ex and your children because the children are still in it. Take a new photo. Why torture yourself by looking at that every day also? So if you're in a cube or in a larger environment, one of the ways that you're going to create sacredness is make sure you bring in plants because those plants bring in a lot of oxygen. And that oxygen is really important when you're on a floor in a high-rise building full of cubes on top of cubes, and it looks like a puzzle piece. Those help. You know what else helps? Turning off all the fluorescent lights if you have a lot of natural light. Even if you could get a break. I mean, they do say, studies do say that children actually do better in school when the fluorescent lights aren't as bright hanging overhead. There's an energy component. And if you think not, just listen, because sometimes if you walk into an older environment, you can actually hear the hum of those light bulbs. And that's energy. And that energy starts messing with your energy. And for me, who's a highly sensitive personality, I can feel that. 
And that makes it even harder for me sometimes. So I want people to be aware of the environment they're in and note that if you're in a, in a if you're in an office that has no windows, then bring as much of nature inside for yourself as you can, whether it's photographs that you've taken specifically, which would be my first recommendation of places that you've been that speak to your soul. So if you're a beach person, get the most beautiful photo you've ever taken or a sunrise or a sunset and bring that component into your office because when you're stressed you can turn around in your spinning chair and just look at it and bring yourself back down and calm you can use it as a quick meditation just to, to, to calm yourself in preparation for a meeting or a phone call that you know may not go so well you could do it just to simply have a timeout during your lunch but what that does is it helps you and it restores you and it does make that work day go back by faster, it becomes more enjoyable. And there is that sacred component. Oftentimes people will confuse the sacredness with religion. So they'll think that you have to have crosses and deities and you don't. I do, but you don't have to. It's what's sacred to you. For some, the Cubs winning the the Cubs winning the World Series, it could be a baseball. And that's fine. If that brings you that inner peace of calm, then have as much of it as you'd like. Because that's what the game plan is here. Also, if you're looking at your yard. Now, my yard's a little bit more difficult because I have 10 dogs. So, because I do work part-time in an animal shelter. So, I don't have a whole lot of grass, as you can imagine, with 10 dogs. But what it is, is it's dog-friendly. So, it's not set up that there's a lot of obstacles or there's a lot of fences where the animals can't go. It's been designed so that they can go everywhere. Now, it may not aesthetically look perfect, but it doesn't matter because that's how our yard has been designed right? So everything in it is for the dogs. So we make sure that when we put our furniture up, we're putting our furniture in an area that the dogs don't necessarily go to as much because we want them to enjoy it just as much as we do. Bringing the sacred component of nature from the outside in is huge and having altars and they don't have to be your traditional altar. Some people have them and they don't even know that they've created it. And that'll take us back to a practical altar. I like when people do vegetable gardens in containers and they arrange these containers in such beautiful ways that that becomes a practical altar also. And some stack one or two levels high another altar and then they'll weave in their garden gnomes or their butterflies that are on sticks or their solar lights when, when they stand back from it and they're feeling rewarded by it and they're feeling tranquil and calm and they go outside and they sit in that yard, you've just created that altar setting, which is a sacred space. I love how you differentiate spiritual altars from practical <laughs> altars and you encourage us to put that everywhere, like you said, inside and out and bringing the nature in is so important. Can you give us some more examples for those that might not have ever heard of a spiritual altar in their home, what that might look like? My spiritual altar, one of my spiritual altars, believe it or not, is my fireplace. Um, my fireplace has a giant Buddha head on the inside of it. Now, some might say that that's sacrilegious, um, but I don't think that it is. And it's surrounded by little tea-like candles 
and a prayer wheel that my husband gave me when we first started to date. It was one of my first Christmas presents. And I will sit on a cushion in front of that. And I use that as more of a spiritual altar. I have a beautiful Moroccan tea glass that I picked up. And that's where I put the prayers or the intentions that I write. And I set them there before I light the tea light candles in front of this giant Buddha. Now I'm Catholic. I have St. Francis with 10 dogs. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have St. Francis all over my house because of all the dogs that I have. He's everywhere. Every room, bathrooms, kitchens, everywhere. I'm sorry. The um, puppy's barking right now. Um, He's the newest. He's a great Dane puppy. Uh, We have St. Francis everywhere, but I also have, I also have, different things from where I've traveled. So when I'm in South Africa, things that are sacred to me from there are rocks. They're, I'm sorry. Simon, thank you. Um, I have rocks that I pick up. I have pieces of wood. I have tapestries that I've picked up. And those are from local people that are artists that have created them. And they've put their heart and soul into it. I try when I travel because I think we get some of the best pieces of art and expression of who we are when we travel. And the reason for that is we're in a different mind frame there. We've let work go. We're with our family. We're here to enjoy. We're here to relax. We're going to jump in those big poofy beds that we talked about before. We're calmer. We may not be on our phones as much as we were before. So that creativity starts to come back and those different pieces and parts that speak to us come back also, whether it's clothes that we buy or it's for me, pieces of wood or tapestries that I bring back. And there's, there's that eclecticness that comes in and that creativity comes along with us. And if I were to come into your home and I picked them up, your body language would change the incitement and the passion would come out because you would tell me you would have those great memories of that trip. You'd let me know. And that's the other part that makes sacred space so important to me. It's a story. I want to know about you. So if I walked in your home, anything I pick up, and I mean anything, could you tell me the story of why it's there? And that opens a lot of interesting doors because we have things that we don't even want. We feel obligated because they were aunt so-and-sos or they were grandma so-and-sos. It was an heirloom. We have to hang on to it. We have to keep it. Well, if you have to do that, then let's find a beautiful box that you love to put it in. And when you, when let's say it's a family holiday and you have to bring out grandma so-and-sos silver candles and they don't match your house at all and you don't want them. You keep them, though, because it's a family heirloom. You feel this obligation. Everybody has a situation like this. But find a beautiful box or a beautiful bag to put it in. And wrap them up and put them in there. And then unwrap them like a present to display them. And know that three to four hours after everyone goes, you can wrap them back up and put them away. And that's okay. You know, Scott, my husband, and I, you'd have to see our house. We live in 650 square feet. I'm going to repeat that I have 10 dogs, <laughs> eight of which are in crates. My house is not a normal house. I have my big oversized chair that holds a Great Dane mix and um, a pit bull. 
And that's where they sit. And so if people come over, we're shifting crates around or we all sit at our kitchen table. But when you think about the, the how often people come over for entertainment versus how many days it's you living there, make it what works for you. So back to people pulling out pieces from magazines and trying to duplicate it. But that's not your lifestyle, right? It certainly isn't mine. It looks beautiful in the magazine, but again, there's a huge component of connectedness that's missing in those duplications. So tell the story and walk around your own home and ask yourself, what does this mean to me? If this piece doesn't give me a great memory or a joyful memory, then why is it out? Put it Mm -hmm. in a beautiful box and put it away or let it go. Because the whole premise of what sacred space is about is to be surrounded by everything that brings you joy, that brings you a a happiness, contentment, relaxation. That's what you're looking for, a place of wellness. That's what's so important. And if nothing in that room contributes to that, then I would question why it's there. Mm. Good advice. Really good advice. And, you know, I think that, that even just imagining all the things that are there just because and without reason and our ability to let go of that is so healing and therapeutic you know i want to i want to be able to talk about the the dogs and the the sacred activism that you're doing with animals but i really want to have you touch first on the self-care piece of sacred spaces because we're talking about the sacred space within and that's a really important important piece of this whole formula self-care self-care is the number one focal point of sacred space you have to take care of yourself and you have to nurture yourself from the inside out in order to really be aware of the sacred space that you have i meet numerous women numerous myself included who had done this where i would eat i would go through a drive up i would eat in my car or i would come inside and i would eat at the counter Or I would microwave food and stand at the counter and eat it out of the container instead of setting my beautiful table and sitting down and enjoying it and being with myself. People think that, you know, I've heard I'm a loser. I eat by myself. And I'm thinking, no, if if you can't enjoy taking yourself. I remember the first time after Richard had died, I went out to dinner by myself with a book and I sat at the bar and I sat at the end of the bar. I ordered myself a glass of wine. I read my book. And it was bliss to be able to take myself out and not be nervous, not be fidgety, not be wondering if everybody was looking at me thinking, why is that woman sitting there by herself alone? It was one of the most empowering things I had done. And then the next time I went and I sat at a table, I did the bar first because there's always single people sitting around the bar. So it may not look as obvious, but when you're sitting at a table by yourself, it's hugely obvious, but it was wonderful to do. And then it became a weekly, uh, not a weekly thing, a monthly thing that I had done. I took myself out for dinner because I didn't know when I would ever be out to dinner with a man again, let alone some of my friends. It isn't that my friends and my family weren't there, but sometimes, as we all know, who have been through grief and we've all been through grief, sometimes it is a very singular journey and you have to do it for yourself. And I I came to realize that bit of empowerment really helped me move forward in other directions. And in creating that, or 
getting home after a terrible day and instead of throwing myself in bed, I started taking showers at night and in the shower, I would use the, the lathering soap or body wash or whatever I had, and I would literally lather myself up talking about how terrible my day may have been. And when I stepped back into those waters as the shower, as the shower fell or submerged myself in the bathtub, I, re- I released all of it. And I rinsed myself off from what was going on and letting it all go literally down the drain. And how much better I felt when I slept at night because I didn't take all that energy with me to bed. And it's the simple things that you can do that help restore yourself to create that better world internally. And when you're doing that, you're actually in a better frame in front of others. You may not realize it, but it's true. Yeah. And I'm so sorry Simon keeps barking. (laughs) Well, Simon wants to be acknowledged. Let's talk about Simon and all of those beautiful creatures that you share. And now you have this, this, you work at an animal shelter and you're creating a whole new project, the Moon Dog Farm. I'd love to hear that and share it with our listeners today. Okay. The Moon Dog Farm has been a passion my whole life, as has Sacred Space. Um, I don't think that the Moondog Farm would have come to fruition if I had not created Sacred Space to have this place to find my sanctuary, live in my sanctuary, allow my creativity to come through. It's so important to have those creative components and those creative outlets for ourselves. So I had always had dogs. I've always grown up with dogs. Uh, But about four years ago, I started, I saw a long lost friend, believe it or not, and um, started working at uh, part-time in an animal shelter. And I work at an intake animal, an open, an open intake animal shelter, which means we accept everything. We turn away no one. We turn away no strays, no, nothing, everything, ponies, ducks, turtles, snakes, in addition to dogs, cats, rabbits, ferrets, we turn away nothing. But we have days where 60 animals will come in, either strays, owner give-ups, euthanization requests. And as you can imagine, I mean, we have seen the worst of the absolute worst. And part of what I do is being in the off-site department, and I help the animals that are available to go to pet stores because a lot of people can't bring themselves to go to the shelter. And I can understand it's, it's a very difficult thing. I work in off-site, so we transport these animals to local pet stores for adoption there, which is fantastic. But the emaciated ones or the gunshot victims or some of the amputees, those are the ones that really speak to my heart, especially the ones that have been starved, starved to the point where you're amazed at the fact that they're still alive. So that's kind of how I've gotten my menagerie here. Um, four Four of my dogs are dogs that we've taken in to help get back on their feet and then they wound up staying. I mean, I've got one that's been hit by a car and her leg and her her hip were broken and we put her back together like Humpty Dumpty and she's got scars from road rash and two or three other ones have been starved almost to the point where you're you're amazed that they're still alive and they've made it through. And I take them and, and I, I, I've had the blessing of being able to go to schools and talk to some of these kids and educate them. 
and to do fundraising with a number of them also. So the Moondog Farm is a foster-based organization, not a rescue, and there is a difference. As a foster home, we foster these animals, get them back up on their paws, and then help them go find forever homes, whether they'll go back to the shelter and find a home through the shelter, whether they'll find a home by taking them on Saturdays and Sundays to the pet stores. We want to be a larger-based foster organization so that we can take in more animals because an emaciated dog can take six to eight weeks to get it back on its feet um, before they're like 100% in some severe situations. And more often than not, they're not just starved, right? They have some inner issues that need to be taken care of. They could have broken legs. They have to heal from all this, not just physically, but emotionally. They have to learn how to interact with the pack, those kinds of things. So that's what we're going to do. We are going to foster and then help those animals go back out. And the blessing of being able to do it with some of the shelter animals is that keeps cages available for more animals to come in and turn around quicker. And we're going to work with some rescues that do great work in the Chicagoland area also. And just keep the cycle moving. Because people want to help, but they don't necessarily know where to help. And I understand that. And some, some, it'll just take too much and it'll play on their hearts for too much. And I get that too, but it really is the passion of my husband and I. So that's why we created the Moondog Farm. We just actually closed on our house at the Illinois Indiana border, and we will be moving in in the next couple months and hopefully be able to start having animals come and stay with us on a foster basis as soon as August, which is when my 50th birthday is. Simon, is a Great Dane puppy that was relinquished at the shelter. I don't usually support breeders. Um, this one did come through a breeder. It did not work out with this family, but my one of my other biggest wishes in the world was to have a Great Dane puppy. So, universe delivered and now we have Simon. <laughs> beautiful beautiful well I um I know sometimes having a dog barking in the background mm-hmm. um can stress us out and and we both just I I loved hearing Simon and 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 just the the real world of this sacred space that you live in. So thank you for that. Thank you for allowing them to be present. It was really nice. Jill, we just have a few minutes left here, and I, I want to remind our listeners they can find you at jillangelo.com. That's A-N-G-E-L-O.com. And Jill, what last words, in, in two minutes or less, what last words of inspiration might you leave with our audience today? What I would like to leave with everyone is to, when you go home tonight, really walk around in each room of your home and look at it and do do an inventory. Think about how you feel when you're in the room. Think about the intention that you set for it. So if it's an office and you have a home office, think of where your creativity and your level of productivity is. If it's because you just had a baby, think about all of those dreams and wishes you have for this child's life. Um, in your kitchen, you know, are you cooking enough for you, your family? Is it is it that hearth that we want it to be where people really enjoy? And if some of that is not, then really do that at that next inventory and remove what doesn't speak and doesn't bring you that joy. The other thing that I really want people to be aware of is the fact that you are sacred and you need to let that sink in. So what I do when I train is I ask people to actually, if they can't look themselves in the mirror, then I want them just to sit 
as firmly and erect as they can and close their eyes and recite the words, I am sacred three times. The first time they're going to, they're going to shake a little bit. The second time they're going to get more empowered. And by the third time they say it, you should be owning it because you are. And that was the Mm. whole premise of the book. I had to learn that I was given my situation and starting all over again and creating the best life. But in order to create that best life, I needed a place to come home to, to rejuvenate myself, to get out there, to continue to lead my best life. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing your best life with our listeners today and with this book. It is a true gift. I I encourage everyone to go out and pick it up. It's a great reminder, and there's so many little things that you can do that make a huge difference. So thank you. Thank you, Jill, for being here. You are sacred. I agree. Thank you. So are you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And listeners, remember, you've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. I'd like to thank you for tuning in with us today. You are sacred. And remember, together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.